podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, I'm Brian Abena, and you're listening to All Over Podcast. all of our content on the sports social network which is at sports social on twitter where you can find lots of sporting podcasts of all different genres i'm joined this week by uh housewife favorite and the farm vet welcome phil hi oh real high pitched high no we've really moved on from hello ladies haven't we yeah we have yeah <clears throat> good good uh, and also the nicest man in Cornwall for your podcast in Ben Eustace. Hi, Ben. Hi. Hi. How are you? You're very sideways this evening on my video. Uh, I'm on. It's... There we go. He's, he's the right way up now. How was your weekend, gentlemen? You all good? Yeah, it was um, pretty enjoyable, all things considered. Um, got to watch a bit of rugby. Got to mess about in the rain at rugby on uh, Sunday. Yeah. I mean, the weather's not looking any better either, is it, for this weekend? So, uh, who knows? No, I'll all, mid- all midweek training is cancelled. I'll, uh, I'll be in Manchester on Sunday, so it won't be at St. Austell. So, that's, that's good news for me. Um, there's no Lensman tonight. He's not having high-profile uh, rugby meetings. He is with the Lenslets. But I did just want to call out a special mention... Um, for him calling out uh, Manu Vunapola for being added to the England training squad after one of the worst performances he's ever seen from a 10 uh, from Saracens versus Quinns, only to be corrected to say it was Manu Tuolangi. I mean, that's insight, isn't it? He's just heard the word Manu and gone, oh, fuck, shit the bed, and called it out. It's, it's the young Manu. bad Vunapola. Yeah. He's, he's, he's got Manu on his mind. <laughs> oh crikey Manu or Manu anyway we'll come on we'll come on to that um, what we had at the weekend was round two of the uh, six nations Scotland travelled to Wales Ireland travelled to France and England travelled to Italy uh, lots to get through so Phil why don't you just start us off um, with some insight or your views on Wales versus Scotland? Well, I suppose the high line um, feedback from me is that both sides were entirely uninspiring to me. Um, and and actually, my, my initial comment was, well, if England have lost to Scotland and that's what Scotland put out against Wales, we are seriously shit. Um, because it was just... There, there was bucket loads of errors, but more importantly, there was just a complete lack of anything vaguely resembling ambition. It or was, creativity. Or creativity, yeah. There was no manipulation of, of defences side to side at all. It was all really, really predictable in attack. And it wasn't, it wasn't that it was a kick fest, which is what sometimes happens in these predictable games. It was just... I know what we're going to do. We're going to pass the ball out once. We're going to pass the ball out twice. Then we're going to go through the hands out to the wing. 
then we'll change direction, we'll pass the ball out once, we'll pass the ball out twice, and we'll knock it on. And and that was the pattern for the entirety of the game. Now, well well done, Reece, um, well done Dan Bigger on his 100th cap slot in the kick that won it. But other than that, and actually, the, the big highlight for me was seeing Jonathan Davis back on a rugby pitch. Um, not that he did a huge amount, but yeah, it was just really pretty uninspiring. I did, um, I did see people people waxing lyrical about the Wales, uh, some of the Welsh front row performance. I thought I heard people saying, oh, um, Dan Bigger was was heroic on his 100th appearance because he could quite have easily have hobbled off. Um, I mean, to me, I know it. the kick won him the game. At the time, I thought it was a horrific decision. Um, to, to take the drop goal. Yeah. They had a guaranteed penalty. They were camped on the Scottish line, so they could have had three points regardless and still taken a load of time off the clock. It's very easy to have this conversation without Dougie here, who is who is a massive fan of a drop goal and thinks that it's it's missed from today's game. But I never understand the, the theory of you, you've got a penalty five yards out banging in front of taking a drop goal. Never, I can never see any justification. They for they it. could have played Ever. that. They could have played that penalty advantage for as long as they humanly wanted, like yeah. And then and then taking the three points. Yeah, and right. Liam Williams straight away afterwards went up to Big and he's like, "What are you doing? We've got men out wide. We've got an overlap. Yeah, why are you kicking three? Um, I mean, Finn Russell. We saw the liability side of Finn Russell getting a, getting a blatant yellow card for a, for a deliberate knock on. I think it's something like three cards in his last yeah, seven, no, six Nations games. Sorry now, about Finn Russell's discipline. I I might I might be wrong there, but that's that's a stat that I read somewhere, and I probably ought to have done some research and checked up on it. Um, highlights: uh, I thought Jack Morgan was really good on his debut. Um, I thought Basham didn't reach the heights that he did the week before, but was pretty reliable. Um, Hamish Watson is Hamish Watson. That's all there's, that I've got to say about it. Uh, other than that, it, it was oh, two Pilotto. Um, that that uh, Hamish two Pilotto or whatever his name is, <laughs> Mug two Pilotto. Um, decent crash ball twelve, good hard runner, um, and probably something that Scotland haven't had for a, for a day or two. Uh, but and and again, Tompkins did his job pretty well. Other than that, I was uninspired. Well, I mean, uh, in the nicest way possible, yeah. picking Alex, Alex Cuthbert is uninspiring enough. Yeah, true. What did you make of that last uh, that last play um, of the game? The the shoulder hit. I can't remember who was the the ball carrier, but it was was it was it Basham or um, Morgan? One of the back yeah, rows. it was. It was Basham. It was a no-arm challenge on a player that was dropping because they'd already been tackled. But he he led with his right shoulder, put a, a half-hearted tick-the-box attempt at a wrap with his left arm. But he went in with a hard hit with his right. The player dropped. Um, the the ref and the TMO seemed to think he hit lower and then bounced higher. I thought the initial point of contact was on on the chap's chin. Um, I've seen red cards given for a lot less. I'm struggling to see how it was. It was not at least a yellow for it. It's a strange um, one, isn't it? 
Yeah, and and I don't understand why players still do that where someone's running towards them and they tuck their elbow into their body and lead with the shoulder because it's going to get picked up every time. Yeah, yeah, agree. It's just it's it's mindless, especially in that position where you try where Scotland have got to go from inside their twenty two to to go the length of the pitch to try and get themselves. And as it was, they went they got to halfway just over yeah. and then started going backwards again. But um, like you say, from what I watched, and I watched the end of the first half and most of the second half, lack of creativity, lack of ambition. um, And England, what it demonstrated to me was England losing to Scotland the week before was was more about England's ineptitude and, and inability to to do anything creative more than Scotland's decisiveness. And if, if England, you know, we could see a very similar game against Wales, two pretty uninspiring sides. Totally agree. And I, and I said that last week, I said that there were people raving about how good the Scotland performance was, and I just didn't see it. No. Um, I just thought it was, they, we England handed the game to them and they they didn't have to show any ambition or creativity to to win it. Yeah, agree. Um, did you say did you say you thought it was a obvious yellow card? I think so. Yeah, at least. Did not think he could have caught it though. What Finn Russell? Yeah. Oh, Finn Russell. No, yeah, sorry. No, um, no, no way. No, not not the. Not with how close the defender was to him. If there was no defender there, if it was completely open play, then yeah, I can see an argument to say that he's gone gone with that to try and hold on to it. But even if that ball sticks in that one hand, his body weight's taking him straight into a defender and he's never going to be able to hold on to that. Mm. I, I don't like I just, yellow, yellow cards for, for that because I, I think... I, I don't like yellow us. cards for, for deliberate knock-ons in the middle of the pitch. I think that's that's ridiculous. But, I mean, I, I, I thought it was pretty cynical, really. And he's got form for that kind of thing. I, I just think, like, one of the three of us would have a decent chance of catching the ball one-handed. And these are international rugby players. And I think the fact, the, just the fact that they go one-handed doesn't make it a deliberate knock-on. No, but equally... He's going one-handed, and his body weight is taking him straight towards a. I think it was. I think it was a prop. Now, and it's it's within, I don't know, ten fifteen centimeters of the, of the prop at the point at which he's making contact. That's that's the bit where I go. He's never holding on to that. Yeah, agree. I, I mean, I to me, he just sticks a hand out. I don't think. I think it's a reaction. I don't think I don't think there's a legitimate way you can catch the ball in that position. I think to, if you're going to do that, you have to visibly knock the ball up. You know, if you can if you can actually knock it up, while it, like so so when they're when they're making that movement to stick a hand out, you have to have part. You have to have your palm in the air, facing the sky, to try and stick it in the air first. And if that ball travels in any way up first, you're going to get away with it. But if the ball just goes from your hand straight to the ground, you've got no chance. Now, there's some Muppet saying he was lucky only to get a yellow, which is just ridiculous. Um, I've never seen a red card for uh, 
for for a deliberate knock. I think I th- is he not is he not referring to a penalty try? But it definitely wasn't a penalty yeah, try. But, I mean, it's never a penalty try. No, never. Um, but no, I just think it's. I don't know. I'm I'm gonna while we talk, I'm gonna Google Finn Russell's disciplinary record just to so I can back it up. But I just think he's prone to these stupid, stupid. Well, um, he, he errors. is. He's, he is prone to these stupid errors. That's a fact. Um, Ben, let, let's move on while Phil does his research that he could have done before the podcast began. <laughs> um, let's move on. Let's move on to the, the France-Ireland game. Um, I mean, this was much better. I know you didn't watch much of the Scotland-Wales game, but as a contest, as a rugby match, as as an, an intriguing prospect, this was this was far better, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean... <clears throat> The first 10 minutes or 12 minutes, however much it was, uh, until Ireland scored their first try, you thought it could be, you know, game of the decade. And I think it did calm down a little bit after that. Uh, But it was still a a very, very good game. Um, I mean, that's, I mean, on the evidence of the first two games, that's head and shoulders the best two teams in the tournament. Yeah. Um, And, you know, I think, there was a lot of skill in the game, but I think it really came down to Ireland came with an absolute ton of physicality and France matched them and then actually were even more physical than Ireland were. And and for all the really good skill on, on display, I think that decided the game. Um, the I think the Irish did an extremely good job to get back into the game because they looked like they were going to get blown out probably twice. Um, once in the first sort of 15 minutes and once around half time. Um, Gibson Park is playing really well. He's he's fast around the fringes he's, and the ball. He's, he's a menace, isn't he, as well? Yeah. Um, I think the, the back row, again, was really good. Um, and um, ring rows... As I said last week, he, he's a proper outside centre, whereas, you know, England haven't really got one of those. And, you know, we, we were talking about Wales. Well, you know, they would make do and mending in the centres and, and until Jonathan Davis comes back. And then, I, you know, I think he did make at least a couple of tackles, which made a difference to the game. Um, so I do think that, you know, that is a factor as well in, in teams playing well, is having the right players in the right position. Yeah. Um, when when you speak about France, I thought um, uh, the prop that scored, um, who whose name I do know, but I'm not going to try and pronounce because I'll get it wrong. I thought he was um, brilliant from. Bail, Bale, 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 yeah. yeah, him. I thought he was brilliant. Cyril. I mean, Cyril. Yeah, Cyril. Let's go with Cyril. Um, you know, he was all over the park. Obviously, in times, Ireland's scrum looked in trouble. And, you know, the, the line he took was a brilliant line anyway. And he ran straight at the referee, which blocked off one of the tacklers. And, and it was a great finish. Um, the, the French wingers are just both fantastic Mate, players. Villiers, did you see the... Have you seen, like, the, um, the description of Villiers growing up? Have you heard? Because he was play, he was he's only recently 
sort of burst was, into the professional was, scene, isn't it? Was he the kid that couldn't get a game for like yeah, yeah, the under twelve second team and stuff? That's, yeah, that's right. I mean, yeah. I, I read tiny hands, couldn't catch a ball, couldn't tackle, could run fairly quick, but couldn't run straight. Yeah, he's so, very strong for his size. Isn't really he? strong, both in attack and defence. He's got he's he's almost like stubbornly strong. If that makes sense. It's it's really strange, but yeah, he's very very good. I don't think he's going to play against Scotland. He's got a no. He's broken his sinus fra- or something. Yeah, imagine having a fractured sinus. <laughs> um, yeah. So you know, I mean, I would say what can you say about this game? But we're going to say a lot about this game. Um, I think the right team won. I think they just about deserved it, and probably by roughly about the score. At the end of the at the end of the game, um, yeah, we've spoken about Villiers. Like Penno is an absolute thoroughbred. Yeah, he's incredible. Once, he just keeps getting better and better. Yeah, you know, he's got all the you know he's got all the steps and stuff, uh, you know, in the book. But it, once he's running, he's he's really shifting. What because he's tall and you know once he gets his speed up, he's really shifting. But he's not he's not one of those big wingers that's a cart horse. Yeah, he's um. um his step out on the wing, um, you, you'll look at some uh, some videos of like Fiji Sevens players and the steps that they do. Actually, I think his step on the wing is as good a step as I've ever seen because he took the ball static and he had about 18 inches to work with. But it was it was his eyes as much as anything else that sold it. I, th- I think it was um, it was impressive in how subtle it was, like a, yeah. a sort of stereotypical Fijian step. It's quite violent. It's it's you know it's quick and it 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 sort of catches you by surprise with with how quickly they change direction. But Penno was so much more fluid. Um, you know it was a, it was a different type of side set, but it was just as effective. It's it's almost like um, the opposite of um, like Marcus Smith with that pitch step yeah, he yeah. does. Um, so yeah, I think. I think with the French and Tamak actually hasn't been quite as influential as he was in the autumn. So if he, uh, if he either, really... neither, neither, or neither, neither, neither is Dupont. No, although I thought he played a lot better in this game than he did in the first. I mean, but there was a bit of, there was a bit of um, dubiousness about his try. Wasn't there? Just because um, that offload wasn't meant for him. And yeah. um, there was no replays, which which I think everyone suspected might have been French TV hiding a forward pass. But actually, I've seen one on Twitter today, and it if it is forward, it, it's very very marginal. I don't think it would have been. Well, the the, um, the the video that all of the Irish people are wanking on about is the overhead spider cam one, which is from quite a considerable distance behind as well. Yeah. So and they're all going, look, it's clearly forward. Well that angle doesn't really tell you anything. It was no Freddie Mishlack against New Zealand. Pal. No, that's, that's no. true. That's and and I, um, I would say, I would say that um, the, the French centres are, are, are good, but probably don't match the back three or the halfback. So again, see, I was about might... to say, I think the French, the French centres are why you don't, you don't see so much of Ntamak because I think they're doing a lot of dog work for him. Um, whereas I think before they had um, fairly reliable centres, he he was almost having to run the show 
himself, whereas he's now there's a lot of balls that go yeah. to um, Fiku. Fiku and also to the, the other chap whose name I can't remember. Mo, well, Moifana played on Saturday, Moifana, yeah, um, and Dante played against Italy, didn't he? So, and I just think they end up they end up taking a lot of balls that and Tamak would have tried to do something with before. He's also probably not kicking the ball quite as much or, yeah. or kicking the ball yeah. as 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 um as a result of not having that much to do. I, I think that's I, I think that's all I think that's all fair, Phil. I think I was being a little unfair it, by by what I mean is they're not as as outstanding. Reliant. More like, well, yeah, they're yeah, they're more reliable then, players, aren't they? They're not as reliant, or at the moment, they seem to be less reliant on Dupont and Intermax genius because they've got far better players all around. So, so actually, it's now more of a team effort than, and and those guys are, whilst they're still brilliant, they're being absorbed into brilliance around them rather than standing out. I mean. The the intriguing battle for me was uh, Craw, uh, Craw, Cross, uh, Aldrit and Jelanche, who has been brilliant, by the way, Jelanche, uh, against um, Conan, Van der Fleer and Doris, which I thought was a brilliant matchup. I think they they were all they were all excellent on the day, but the one person who just keeps getting better and better for me, and and he is. He's obviously world-class, but he is starting to move a little bit of a cut above everybody that I've seen recently in the world, and that's Aldrit. He is unbelievable. The amount of work he gets through, the amount of... I mean, I don't know the stats on his carries per game, but he, he, he seems to carry like one in three. It's unbelievable how much work he gets through. And he just keeps on going. You know, like we were saying about Josh McNally and, and um, oh gosh, what's uh, Launchbury. Look, in the first minute, they just kind of look fucked, but they, they carry on to the end. Well, Audrey does that, but just on a completely different sphere. He looks fucked, but he's just an absolute machine. He's, he's brilliant. And I think, you know, if he's around for a few years, France in their own backyard with their own World Cup um, with their own TV directors could well walk this World Cup I'm trying to think of a sort of number eight that's similar to Aldrich and I'm I'm struggling a little bit um, he's not because he's not the biggest is he he's not no, a he, number eight he, he's, 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 he's a workhorse of an eight yeah, he, he gets through, like you're saying, a huge amount of work. So, and he, he's not, like you say, as well as not being the biggest, he doesn't do a lot of, um, you know, uh, play with the ball in hand either. He, he, he just literally, like... Oh, he, ca- just he keeps, just carries the contact. Just keeps and- carrying, keeps carrying, yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's a difficult one to sort of... It's almost like someone kind of um, put 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 a sort of classic six there, but well, I was thinking the same thing, it, like a Richard Hill style six, yeah, but just playing eight. Yeah, that's 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 almost um, where I was going with it. Although I think perhaps um, 
he'll probably. Um, I mean, we can't compare anybody to Richard Hill. Yeah. Audrey does. Audrey does have the subtle touches. He does offload out of the tackle and stuff when it's on. But what he doesn't do is he doesn't just do it for the sake of doing it. You see yeah, some back he, row players that do it for the sake of doing it, as opposed to doing it when it's on for the, for the right reasons. Sure. Like yeah. No I think, risk. I think he's, um, I think he's, yeah, a good, a, a good rugby player, but I was, I was kind of going with his size, maybe towards someone like Falatau, but he doesn't have the sort of um, skill set that Falatau has. Um, you know, it's, it's more like you say work rate. Um but yeah, someone I'm sure will find a comparison and, and message it into us. But um, maybe, maybe. sorry, mate. I said I think that's optimistic. Yeah, <laughs> get in touch with your uh, Gregory Aldrit comparisons. Um, let's let's move on, shall we? I mean, they they were they were two well, very good teams. Unless you go before on. before we leave that game. Just want to talk a bit about Matt Hansen. Yeah, go on. So, even on his Wikipedia page, Mackenzie Hansen is an Australian rugby union player. Um, he's not Irish. He's only been in Ireland since last year, and he gets drafted into the Ireland team. So, I'm guessing somebody within the IRFU or whatever they call themselves, IRU, um, has gone and scoured through um, Super Rugby and gone, who's got an Irish parent or grandparent that we can take advantage of? Um, so he qualifies for Ireland through his, through his mother, um, who was born in Cork. Um, and I just think it's all becoming a bit too cynical and dirty for me. Like, yeah. You'd be come pretty pissed. You'd be pretty annoyed if you were someone like Jordan Lama or Simon Zebo. Well, <laughs> see, I mean, Z- the likes of Earls and Zebo have, have had their minute. He had their time, I get that, but I mean, he's come back from France to try and secure more international rugby. Um, oh yeah, hi Mac. You know your Irish mum. Do you want to come over and play for Connaught, and we'll give you a, 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 um, some games for Ireland out on the wing. Yeah, that'd be amazing. I mean, let, let's let's take nothing away from his uh, for his ability. What I will, I mean, he could always say, have played for Ireland, couldn't he? he? He could always have played for Ireland. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Fifty yeah. years but, ago, he could still have played for Ireland. Yeah. What I will say, no, let, and let's, I'm not, let's, it's not about the rules changing. It's it's just about like you don't see it very. You, you occasionally see it with 17, 18, 19 year olds, um, like, uh, and this may not have happened with him, but like Dylan Hartley grown up in or spent most of their time growing up in one country qualifies for another and they put in a real effort as a as a teenager to try and get them to move i just think it's a bit cynical when you're picking a 22 year old off the back of them playing pretty well in super rugby uh, and and i might get it wrong he might have always been planning to come back to ireland and might have been in contact with uh, i prefer the cynical route but i, I just cynical. think that's horseshit I mean, it, it's it's uh, endemic of state sponsored rugby, state isn't sponsored it? Rugby, yeah. <laughs> so, um, that was a brilliant try, though. Well, yes, oh, yeah. it, yes, it was right. I mean, yeah, I'm going to question. Yeah. I'm going to question Jaminet, uh and and the French defence positioning off the kick. 
Um, you're one thing you're taught when you're a child or when you're when you first started to play play rugby is you never like in any sport really you don't wait for the ball and you know ben we talked about this uh, in our in the twitter group you know your brother has scored many a try like that when he's just when you just you got the perfect kick and they arrive bang on cue ahead of the um ahead of the player that's that's receiving it and and run in and under the post and score and there is a, as no i'm i'm going to say it's not as good as everybody thinks there's a huge amount of luck in it and it's great timing but the french have to do better there there's yeah. a re- there's a re- there's a reason you don't see that every single week he has read it perfectly. The reason you don't see it every every week is because usually you'd have a second row up in the air there clear, clearing that up. Um, and it went over the top of them because they got it slightly wrong and the, the covering defence wasn't but that, But that's what I mean. The, it, this is more about this is more about the poor French yeah. exit setup than it is about somebody who's basically caught a ball on the run forward. But so that's, often you see... Those people are not running that that line, not taking that chance and throwing their, their hat in the ring for that kind of ball. Yeah, Absolutely. I think that's I, I, you, you, you're true. The French didn't defend it very well, although, um, as Tim pointed out, it is very difficult to defend if you haven't got the right people there. But you can't take away the fact that he took that ball at full pelt. It, it, dropping over his shoulder is that chest height as well, mind. He didn't take it above his head. It literally dropped into his arms. It couldn't have been more perfect. And he was in stride. Like it was a perfect storm. The ball dropped him at chest level while he was in stride. He didn't have to break stride at all. And he was in. And so, you're not stopping um, that. So I've just sent you guys on the WhatsApp um, and we can maybe tweet it out afterwards. The photo of Matt Hansen from the RTE uh, news report when Connaught signed him. Um, he looks so Australian. Like oh, you, yeah. you wouldn't even look at him and think there's any part of Irish in him. Um, a, a, a dodgy dead rat moustache across the front of his face. <laughs> a haircut that looks like his mum's done it. Like the, the guy is, is classic Australian. Yeah. But yeah. Typical Irish reporting. Um, it says in there, blah, 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 played for the Brumbies, featuring in all eight games and scoring three tries, and then written about seven paragraphs down. You realise that that was a hat-trick in one game. Um, but, yeah, making him look good, thinking that he's scoring tries every game. He just scored scored three tries in one game, and that was it. But I enjoy watching him play. I think I would enjoy him watching him play more in gold than in green. I mean, I'd enjoy anything more in gold than in green. I've got to be honest, which is, which is, it pains me to say that because I'm not a big fan of Australia. <laughs> no. it, just, it just shows me how much I like Ireland. Um, right. Let's move on. Uh, Rome. Let's go to Rome. Let's, uh, let's start off with, with some rugby bits before we move into any sort of controversy or um, other bits and pieces. Uh, let's talk about individual performances. Let's start with Harry Randall, Ben. What did you make of Harry Randall on his first start? Or Six Nations start? Um, well, I think he had the desired effect that we all hoped he would. Um, probably wasn't 
what Eddie was expecting, you know, two hat tricks and uh, being made prime minister. Um, but I thought, I thought he played pretty well. I think it was noticeable how much more energy there was in England with him there, um, sort of mixed in with Smith. Um, probably having Don Brandt at eight probably gave him a slightly easier ride in terms of a bit of go forward and an eight that is used to sort of dealing with the ball at the back of the scrum. Um, but, you know, there was a bit of zip. The, the Italians were definitely worried about him making a break. Uh, so they sort of sat off a little bit. Um, and, you know, he, he gets the ball off the ground nice and nice and quickly. Uh, I think, you know, we probably noticed in the Premiership, his kicking game isn't the strongest of all the English scrum halves. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that wasn't a problem in that game. Uh, but I thought he did, um, on balance, he, he did really well. Um, you know, and him and Smith is definitely, I think, worth persevering. Yeah. He, he managed to do, as a solo person, what 30 people failed to do in Cardiff the day before. Even when he wasn't, because his passing was was slick and, and quick, when he didn't do that, when he, he kind of tested the edges, he manipulated defences all by himself. And that gave Marcus Smith the ability to do what Marcus Smith wanted to do. Um, it was very noticeable when he went off that, that it changed. Uh, and the ball was, ball was a lot slower getting to Smith. Smith was under, under a lot more, well, I'm not sure he was under a lot more pressure, but he had less um, options for, for finding the gaps because the ball was slower and the, and the defence was never tested around those fringes or manipulated around those fringes. It's just a shame England kept dropping the fucking ball whenever they got yeah. anywhere near through. And he got through a couple of phases and then, then, then dropped it. Um, Jack Noel. Was, go on, Ben. I was just going to say it's pretty much entirely the front five, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, it was so frustrating because you'd see a little bit of brilliance. You'd see England go through some phases. You'd see, Patterns start to develop, and then I mean, Will Stewart. I lost count of the amount of times he knocked the ball on, but it wasn't just him. It was Yules, um, Itoji lost it, uh, George lost it a couple of times, um, and it was yeah. It just became more, and the more, the harder they tried, the worse it got, and it was you know, it was almost like a captain's run for England after they scored the early the early try through. Um, George and he thought you know it was it was going to be a bit of a walk in the park and I think after after 20 odd minutes England England felt that you know they'd scored the two tries they were 14 nil up Italy had offered absolutely nothing and that was that was kind of it um I felt really sorry for um for Jack Knoll um, he came, he started the first 15 minutes. I thought he was brilliant. He was joining in. He was, he was almost all over the pitch off his wing, getting involved. A um, couple of really good turnovers. And then there was that strange sort of passage where he, he made a sort of stand up tackle where he, he got hit in the head. Saw him stumbling around. I thought he was winded for a bit. I don't know. I don't know what you boys thought watching live. You know, when you see somebody who's winded, you think, oh, you know, he's he's he's, he's the wind knocked out of him there. And then the doctor 
was was looking at him, saying, "Oh no, he doesn't need a HIA." The match ref, like the referee, was saying, "Oh, he needs one," and I've been told that he needs to go off for one, and then and then kind of reneged on that and said, "Well, okay, he's fine. Let's let's just crack on." And they seem to rush that whole decision, and he's been quit, criticised quite heavily for that, Phil. Yeah, I'm, I don't know. It's that balance between doing everything perfectly and having a game that, that flows and a game that moves. Um, he said, we're waiting for the doctor, waiting for the doctor to have an opinion. The doctor didn't come with that opinion fairly quickly. Ref looks at the player. The player goes, I'm fine. He goes, well, let's play on. And then at the next break, the doctor goes, yeah, he has to come off for an HIA, which obviously he then went on and failed. I think actually given all the information he had at hand, the ref got the balance pretty right because it was already a relatively long break. It wasn't like he was Sparko out on the floor for three minutes like George North when he ran into the post. It was, yeah, it was one of those dubious ones. So, I yeah, I thought all, all in all the ref got that pretty right, but I can see how... Um, Certain people are going to be upset about but me. It. Don't don't let the brain police say you say that. Yeah, for. exactly. Yeah, um, but I mean, we can't have a game where every time there's the potential of a head knock, we need to have a forensic uh, inspection of whether that player needs to go for an HIA or not. There needs to be some degree of pr- pragmatism, otherwise, the game's going to end up taking three and a half hours. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I did just say it was Jamie George that scored that first try. Of course, it was Marcus Smith from that little um, lovely little break by Malins. I thought, you know, the the Italian defence, I can't remember who the Italian winger was. He was the big lad playing 14, um, who was who was actually very good. Was it um, Maury? Was it Maury yeah. on the yeah, wing? Yeah, Maury. Yeah, I who, thought he had a good game. He did have a good game, but he was very flat-footed and Malins almost seemed to walk past him to give the ball into Smith for that try. Um, I want to have a bit of a chat about that, the whole uh, Dombrant-Smith combination. Whilst Dombrant didn't, you know, he didn't um, come up with any of his lung-bursting, like, long runs, he got through a lot of work in the tight, and he was somebody that was always seemed to be there for Marcus Smith, which obviously is very much the Harlequins connection, but it looked like Smith was probably a little bit more comfortable because he knew that Don Bright, like he had that, that safety blanket. And I thought the back, you know, the back row and other than um, the silly drops when England got go forward, I thought the, the, the carrying on the whole was pretty good, pretty strong. Yeah, I, I do wonder if against because I mean let's let's be honest, Italy were poor. Italy, Italy were like a national one type team. Said it afterwards, it was like Premiership against national one kind of level, um, and really disappointing in terms of what they offered. Um, I think against a team with a far more active back row, I think against Scotland, say we might have got caught out with that back row um, as good as. Atoji is, and I really like Atoji. I like to see two flankers on a pitch. Um, and Dombrant's skill set isn't necessarily the ground game. He does get the odd turnover, but it, it, he's not, he's no Tom Curry. Um, but 
I think you're you're exactly right for more than one reason. Not just does Don Brown give Smith that option, but obviously they've got a pretty close working relationship, um, and I think that security helps as well. Coming back to the Malins point, I I didn't really see a huge amount of him after that first couple of minutes. I thought the first ten minutes or so he was really good, and then I thought he went pretty quiet. Do you know the person I, who disappointed me the most? Marchant. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I would have bought, I would have bought um, Ford on for him probably ten minutes, fifteen minutes before he went well, off. And, and he... had that Smith Ford ten twelve. They weren't really offering too much, were they, Italy? Smith Ford Slade. No. Yeah, or even even put um, Ford at fullback or something like that, just to because. Because England went desperately flat after the, I mean, the try just after half time was was a, a fantastic pass um, by Smith after some good play, but after that they went dreadfully flat. Yeah, um, and and I thought, um, going back to what Phil said, I think Toje probably should have been man of the match, um, and if if not him, probably um, Dombrant, but. I, he 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 could he could do exactly what he did in that game from second row, and I think yeah. I think you know next 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 game, I don't think we can really go into a game against Wales who probably are going to be pretty close to us in terms of um, quality, and it's going to be a, it's going to be a close game. I, I don't think we can go in with the same second row that we had in this game. I just think it's it, it you know it's two hardworking players that. That lack the quality of say Laws and um, Atoje or, or Launchbury and Atoje. Um, I really you know, like Nick Ezekwe. I just don't think he's England standard. Like if Nick Ezekwe signed for, for Exeter, I'd be over the moon about it. Oh, yeah, yeah, he's, he's a great rugby player, um, but he's almost too close. He can play six as well as second row, and he's probably he's- too too close to a six well, to, to fully he, impose himself. He, he's a classic Saracens type player or or even an Exeter pack type player. Um, and I just think at international level, you need something a bit a bit more than just doing the basics pretty well. Um, and maybe I'm being a bit harsh on him there. Um, but no, I think you're right. I think we need, I mean, I mean it's, yeah. I mean, to be honest, if Laws is fit, he Lord... probably comes back at six. But well, yeah. I'd love to see launch for Toji Laws as four, five, six. That'll yeah. do for me. With with Curry and Dombrant, I mean, it's not that's not going to lack for um, carrying at least. It's not going to um, lack for carrying. You've got Laws. Laws is pretty good at the groundwork for a for a second row stroke back row hybrid. Um, Curry's obviously excellent at it. Um, I could see us losing a few turnovers, but not too many. I mean, Wales is, you know, whatever back row Wales play will be decent on the ground, but it's not like they've got Warburton anymore. So. No, no, but I, I, yeah, I think, I think Basham and Morgan are, are probably the future of the Wales back row as much as anything else. They've, they've both been pretty impressive. Um, do you not think maybe they went flat for two reasons? One, because it was kind of over as a game and two, because um, Youngs came on. Sorry, I thought, I, I thought it was. I thought Youngs was dreadful when he came on. I don't. Honestly, I I think 
I think it probably had more to do with the game being won, to be honest, because I think they'd already gone flat and, and certainly that didn't help. But, you know, I think Italy probably, it felt like they were in our 22 for about 20 minutes. And unfortunately for them, they were so toothless that it didn't really make a lot of difference to the to England, you know, and it was nice to nil them, but it might not be the, the last time they're nilled in this tournament. It's the first time they're really nilled in the Six Nations. Yeah, but... Um, it, this, the shame with Italy is, is you know, there's no lack of um, effort there. And um, and they do piece some good bits of play together, but there's always just the... Um, there's always a mistake just around the corner. You know, you know there, there was there was one in this game where they, they had England under great pressure, they put a penalty into the corner, and then they just overthrew the line out by, you know, a country mile. And I think that must have been later on, because I think it was Simmons that, that caught the ball, um, you know, yeah. and, and it was just, you know, that, that was the kind of thing um, that, that all, was always happening. Um, I think he'd gone off by that point, but I actually thought the, the young hooker had a good game. Um, uh, uh, Lucchese, is it? Lucchese, R- R- yeah, good. Ruzza, yeah. the second yeah. row, was impressed with. He was going to be my next one. I think he's, he came through maybe two, three years ago, and every time I've seen him, I've, th- I've thought he's decent, you know, Again, he's probably caught a little bit between between a second row and a back row. Um, but, you know, with Italy, they, they perhaps don't have the luxury of, um, you know, huge second rows coming out of their armpits, you know. But they almost remind me a little bit of the Italian side of, you know, the very first sides that came into the Six Nations, other than they don't have the threat of... Um, the goal kicker um, that that team had, because he, he would always maybe keep them in the game for 20 minutes by just keeping the scoreboard ticking over. But they were at times starting to, uh, you know, spoil the game a little bit, like like the old Italian well, side is really was, good at. There was one point, oh, I think it was around 55 minutes, and I counted up the number of penalties they had in what I thought were kickable positions. And at that point, it might even have been before England scored after half time. It might have been 21 0. And they'd had, oh no, they, it was after the next try after that. So whether it was 26 or 28, I can't remember. Um, but they'd, they'd left 18 points out there. They'd had six kicks in kickable positions. If they'd have kicked every one of them, and okay, if they kicked one of them, they might not have had the other ones. But I mean, 26 18 looks very different from 26 0. Yeah. Very, very different. And I just thought there was a bit of a lack of game management there going, we've got to score a try here because we're 21 points behind instead of going, let's at least get on the board and it gives us a bit of momentum and a bit of something positive. I I don't Uh, think it matters whether you get zeroed or sixth. I think it's irrelevant. But if you get zeroed or 15th, there's a big difference between that. Well, look, look, Varney's just got to stop throwing throwing away a try a match as well. I mean, if, if they're on the ropes like that, they it's two games where he's thrown mad passes and yeah, p- pretty much given away a try. But they just think- got, it's just be patience. You see the best teams when the best teams, when they're in that position, always, always, always score a try. Exeter have made a living out of it for the last 10 years. Ireland, Leinster, teams that are, Teams that are confident and good in that position will just 
that what they'll do first of all is they'll keep the ball till the opposition commit an offence, and then they'll just play on penalty advantage until they score. That that's all that happens. And Italy were in, never in a position to to do that because it all felt a bit rushed and a bit loose. Yeah, and and I get your point that. 33-0 or 33-6 is still an assing, whichever way you look at it. I just think that sometimes 50 minutes in, you got you got nil on the board, you've got a penalty straight in front of the post, 20 yards out. Just take the three and go, right, we're going to try and build on this. I think it's about positive momentum and trying to build on it, rather than going, we're going to kick to the corner and cock it up again for the fifth time in the last five minutes. Yeah, maybe, maybe you're right. I mean, to me, the the old adage of keep the scoreboard ticking over is one thing, but if you're not, what's the point? I in mean, keeping this, if you're already getting an ass in, what's the? Would uh, you would you rather be thirty three nine or thirty three seven? I think I'd rather be thirty three nine. I don't know. That's or a difficult. Three, that's a difficult. Thirty three five because they would have scored in the corner and not not got the kick. But yeah, just. It was just something I picked up on when I was going. I just saw it again and again and again. England infringing in the uh, around the the twenty two and going. Just do something different. Kicking to touch isn't working for you. Yeah, oh. fair one. Uh, any other any other observations from, uh, I, from England, Italy? I thought um, I thought that was a really good little cameo by Chesham. Yeah. Yes. I bet every time I've seen him play. Been really, really impressed. Yeah, he's he's just got something about him, um, you know. And for a young player coming on, I think he kind of um, picked in, you know, picked up the pace of the game really quickly, and also, um, you know, had a couple of telling, in, you know, contributions. I think he stole a line out, um, got involved in some support play a couple of times. So, you know, I don't think he could have done his case much more, really. Um, it's a shame he won't play after the end of the Six Nations, though, because well, Eddie. yeah, yeah, that's always a possibility. Um, but yeah, I, I, think, I think um, he'll stick around. I think I, he'll stick around. I, yeah, I mean, he played even played a game at eight for um, uh, for for Leicester at one stage this season. So um, not suggesting he could play there for England, but it just shows that he has got. Um, you know, some, some ball skills and stuff about him well, as well. He, he was energetic, dynamic and strong. Sounds like me when I was uh, five... Never years old. Five, 12 and never. <laughs> Unreal. Um, yeah, a fair play to, fair play to him. It's, it's always country. nice to see new... <laughs> when you see the new caps coming through that have got a genuine chance of making it. Um, he seems to over, have overtaken George Martin, doesn't he? As the the latest kind of bolter, but we'll we'll see what we'll see what happens. Um, the news, obviously, today the twenty five man training squad, as there's no games this week. Um, Manu Tuilagi is back. Johnny May is back. Um, Joe Launchbury is back. So we'll see who makes it through the weekend and uh, and the squad for Wales the week after. It would certainly be interesting. Well, um, I mean, there's two and has got to play. There's yeah, some interesting omissions as well. Joe Marler's out. 
Well, I, I think a lot, some of the omissions are rehab related and, and rest related, aren't they? Right. Yeah. No, apparently, no reason's been given for Marla being absent. Everybody else, so Johnny Hill's obviously still recovering from his injury. Um, Tom Pearson's in, London Irish. Yeah. He's the one that got called up last week, wasn't he? He won't. Um, be Simmons is not training. So, and Alfie Barbary's back in. Um, yeah. It's a it's a bit of a different twenty five man training squad. It's strange that it's only twenty five. It is, um, but it's just a training squad, isn't it? Like, who knows? It's not a it's not a squad he's going to pick from necessarily. So he'll have to pick twenty three for Wales, um, and we'll see what happens. I mean, it's Wales at Twickenham as well, which gives me a bit more hope. And the way that Wales have played in those first two games, I'd like to think that we'd have enough as a squad to beat them, especially if we could get Manu back. If Manu's playing at 12, I just think it ch- it changes it changes us completely because Smith and then he's has, looked yeah. He's looked really impressive as well. Well, since since he's been at sale. He looks like he's, I know I said this before, he's trimmed down. He looks athletic, but he looks strong. He looks fit. Um, obviously, he picked up that hamstring injury in the autumn. Um, but, well, you just never know with Manu Tulang, you do. You don't know when his next breakdown's coming. So, yeah. In the next well, four to six weeks. May as well just play him until he until he breaks down again. Yeah. It's just, what, you, it's just what you got to do, isn't it? And England need that straight line runner. They need a straight line runner outside of 10. Be that yeah, at 12 or 13. 100%. Outside mm-hmm. of 12 or 13, I don't care where it comes. They just need an option. Right, let's let's move on. <coughs> Excuse me. There was some premiership action at the weekend. Um, I don't know too much about it because I didn't watch any of it. Um, Friday saw Bristol get their asses handed to them at home by London Irish. Uh, 32-49. I did watch, actually, I tell a lie, I watched a fair amount of Leicester Tigers versus Northampton on Friday night, as well as flicking onto the um, England under-20s, who lost to Italy 6-0. Um, the first time England under-20s have lost for quite a period of time in the Six Nations. Um, but they were poor. right? I mean, Italy dogged it out, but the under-20s were not good at all. And a real, uh, a real worry that must be. Um, but Leicester comfortably beat Northampton um, by basically just giving the ball to Nandolo in the first half. But any time, any time they were in the twenty-two, they gave the ball to Nandolo and he scored. It was, you know, it was an absolute uh, one-way traffic for Leicester that first half. They. Um, Northampton made it a bit more of a game in the second half, but Freddie Burns had a really good game for the first time in quite a while. Uh, Chris Ashton came on as a HIA replacement for um, Freddie Burns at the end of the first half, made a really good try-saving tackle, was on the pitch for three minutes until half-time. Then Burns came back on uh, and, and Ashton came on with, 15 minutes left, lasted three minutes before getting yellow carded for the rest of the game, which uh, he was offside three times in the space of about a minute in uh, on the Leicester try line. So uh, that was a bit unfortunate for him. 
Um, on Saturday, Exeter beat Gloucester, which came as a bit of a surprise after losing to Wasps the week before. Exeter beat Gloucester at home um, with tries from Woodburn, Inard, Schickling and O'Flaherty. Um, Sale beat Worcester, as we would expect, and Wasps put Bath to the sword. And then on Sunday was Saracens versus Quinns, uh, which I watched a bit of it. Doug was bemoaning the weather. I think he was stood basically on a camera into a, a howling gale whilst getting piss wet through. Um, couldn't have happened to a nicer bloke, really. Yeah, it was it was windy, that one. The, the, there were box kicks going sort of 15 metres backwards at one stage. Um, and it was... It was it was one of those classic games where um, Saracens played pretty well into the wind, got a lead, and then Russ. I think we've probably both played in games like this where you then get the wind at your back and think you're going to walk the second half, and it yeah. doesn't really happen. Yeah. Um, you know, and 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 they they did enough to win, but you know, I think they would have expected to. Um, to, to probably run away with it a little bit more. Um, I thought uh, Maitland played really well and he, he gave, he gave um, Tyrone Green a really hard time. And um, another, you know, another day, like the more I watch Tyrone Green as an attacking force with ball in hand, he's really good under the high ball. He is not. And Eddie Stevens, I don't know if you're listening to this, I would hope you are. Can you please concede that Tyrone Green is nowhere near as good as Freddie Stewart now, please? Because for the no, last... no, 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 we don't want that. Because as soon as he says that, Stewart will turn shit. Probably, but like when I when when Green is running at people, and when Quins were in their their flying stage of uh, late last year and early this year. Green, Liner, Murley, um, Marchant, they were just, they were running from everywhere. And teams weren't, I don't think teams were necessarily kicking to compete. They were kicking long and backing themselves to, to defend Harlequins. And then they've learned, hold on a minute, hold on. You give this, you give this Quins back three, whoever it may be, time to catch and formulate an attack. You are going to be in trouble. So teams have stopped aimlessly kicking down the field at Harlequins and they're now kicking more to compete, which has really screwed Tyrone Green, I think. And, I don't and think that, he's great under the high ball. They're also putting him in a position where the, the best option is definitely to kick, but it's, yeah. it's, temp, it's tempting enough for him not to. So they, they, they're, not, they're not putting kicks all the time uh, that, that are classic kicks to compete, but they're, they're sort of pinning him in corners and stuff like that. And, you know, there was one where he, he dropped, he dropped a, a kick into the corner, uh, which, you know, ap- happens to anyone. Um, but then he, he kind of tried to make amends. It almost like blew his mind a little bit. And he, he sort of ran across and got caught. And it happened, it happened to t- a couple of times. So they're almost using 
his sort of adventure against him a little bit as well. But but you're quite right. You know, he he was struggling in those conditions. You know, it wasn't easy. It was it was horribly windy. But he's but, he's been um, struggling in a, a number of different conditions over the last. Four yeah, I'm, I'm you know Alex Good managed fine. Um, so so yeah. Um, I I do think Billy Vanapola should be back in the England side, uh, England squad sooner rather than later as well. But he carried really well. I don't. He's no Alex Dombrand. I think we've just got to start moving on from these people. There's got to be, you know, there are other options. There are other ways of, of, of doing it. And, you know, if he's decided that the Billy Villapona is not the answer anymore, then that Billy Villapona is not the answer anymore. I don't know. I, I'm, I mean, I'm kind of over going back to the same he's not yet for He's not yet 30, so. What? I thought he was about 33. No. Born, born November 1992. Jesus Christ. That's some paper around mine, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I was in year seven when he was born. You were in, <laughs> we, were, we were in year seven. <laughs> wow. I mean... Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I get what you're saying, Phil. And I'm not saying he should go back into the side, but I think it's a handy man to have in the squad. He, he was knocking people over. In, in that game and, and making ground, you know, in difficult conditions. And I, I do think uh, he, he's definitely worth another, another look. My take home from the Saracens Harlequins game, though, is uh, the picture that Jameson wrote from at Rugby Saracens is saved, uh, shared on our Twitter group of, um, of the lensman at work. And, you know, um, you know, when you see those things on kids' TV programmes where you've got two kids, one sat on the other's shoulders trying to pretend like they're an adult and the coat comes down to about the knees and the trousers come down kind of almost all the way over the shoes, that's that's what Doug looks like. He looks like he's bought a normal height person's clothes rather than the from the kids' section where he should buy them. Look like he was wearing a massive puffy condom. Yeah, a massive puffy condom on a six-year-old child. Well, at least he found this week's podcast title anyway. Yeah, a massive puffy condom. Just a puffy right. condom. Right, let's move into... Um, no, let's check out this week's fixtures very quickly on Friday. Um, before, before we do that, I've, I've sat with my bit of research here since midway through the France-Ireland recap. Um, Finn Russell has got a card in his last three away Six Nations games. Two yellows and a red. Fair enough. Good research, Phil. Well done. Yeah, um, done Right, Eddie, uh, fixtures. It, this Friday is Worcester versus Bristol. Um, can't wait to tune into that. Um, <laughs> Saturday is Buff Tigers, Quinn's Wasps, Irish Saracens and Saints Sale, which means on Sunday that leaves. Who does it leave? Who does it leave? Uh, Sunday is Exeter versus Newcastle, Kingston Park, long longest trip in the Premiership. Um, any other business, uh, Ben? Um, watch the new Louis Theroux on Sunday. Afternoon. Oh, Sunday evening. mate, mate, how that guy keeps his. 
calm is unbelievable. I'd never heard of that baked Alaska geezer. What a weapon. <laughs> um, and the beardy guy was even worse. Fucking um, hell. Some, someone said on Twitter, like, Louis Theroux is the most uh, sort of placid man. And, you know, he, he said he, he placid. Why? What did it sound like? <laughs> placid. <laughs> is the man. I, I thought you said flaccid. Louis, Louis Theroux is the most flaccid man. I, I suspect he probably was in that situation. <laughs> um, but, you know, even even he looked for, just looked for a second like he was going to chin that bearded guy. Was he the um, guy who was wearing the Louis T-shirt? when? Yeah, he was like, get out of my house. And he, Louis, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not in your house. Um, which, um, um, what channel is this on, Ben? BBC Two. It'll be on the it eye. It'll be on the eye player. But but do you remember the one where he meets up with the the actual Nazis? Yes. And he ends up going to Mexico with them, and just they get absolutely hammered on tequila. Yeah. And it was it was just like he must have been thinking, you know, when I actually met real Nazis, they they came across as nicer people than than you absolute muppets. You just it's just um, a horrible. Um, it's hard to quantify because then it's hard to tell whether they actually believe what they're saying because they're just I, doing it. It seems to me they're doing it for effect, for publicity. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I, that's that's exactly what I was going to say. Because they're, you know, they think of themselves as trolls rather than of being, you know, you know, when, when he met those Nazis, they were, they were, you know, awful, awful people. But they, <laughs> say, say what you like about the Nazis, but they were yeah. strong. They were strong in their beliefs. But, but they, they at least kind of switched off at times, whereas these guys were just constantly filming themselves because they were constantly filming themselves. They were like completely always had to be trolling someone. Yeah. And, um, you know, they, they were just so obnoxious. They whereas, were characters, weren't they? Whereas I know what you're saying. They, when people when people aren't trying, when people firmly believe and and it's what they what they the way they are, you can tell when they're not trying to be something. With those guys, they were if it was like they were trying to try really hard to be something, or trying to be outrageous as opposed to just yeah, being, exactly. being outrageous. And um, and and just just to be clear, I'm not comparing them favorably to the actual neo-nazis but just i think in terms of um just in terms of want just just constant constant irritant they were just as, as bad as anyone i've ever seen you just want you want what you want i said to tracy when we were watching it like you'd want them on one of the videos just to say something to the wrong person and just get completely mm. cleaned up on the street. Just which, some, which, some geezer going to town on them. Which absolutely will happen one day because they, so. they um, just, you know, for context, Phil, they were filming themselves just going up to people in the street and, and they were asking their sort of, you know, sort of extreme right wing teenager followers what they should say to them. And you know, and 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 they were saying whatever was coming up on the screen. So, um, you know, one day someone is probably going to take offence, and in America that could involve a handgun or anything. So, yeah, watch this space. Fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah. 
Phil. Look, look at what this idiot did <laughs> in, in America. America. Um, so I did have a couple of any other businesses, but... Any um, other business? Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but um, I'm going to save them for another day because they'll wait. And I've got something that's probably more important to say. Um, and the first is that uh, Jack Jeffrey, um, Evesham player, uh, sadly died at the weekend following... Um, I'm not entirely sure what happened, but he scored a try. And in the act of scoring a try and the challenge that happened afterwards, um, he obviously took a, a bit of a knock um, and, uh, yeah, unfortunately passed away later that day in hospital. So all of our thoughts from the, from them all over with uh, with Jack's family. Um, we obviously do play a, uh, a, a dangerous game um, and enjoy it. And thankfully these things are... are Fairly, uh, fairly rare occurrences, but but yeah, pretty sad when they do happen. Um, and then the flip side of it is uh, a lady called Jade Crane from Derbyshire and her husband Steve, um, trying to have kids for 11 years, allegedly spent 50,000 pounds in IVF and, and fertility treatments, um, had a few miscarriages, a couple of ectopic pregnancies, fell pregnant, um, and then uh, October in October gave birth to twins, um, Harry and Harley, at 22 weeks and five days. So barely over halfway through gestation. Um, one of them weighed 500 grams, the other one weighed 520 grams. They put them in the bereavement suite because they were that certain that the, that the babies weren't going to make it. Um, and they are 16 weeks old today. Um, and uh, yeah, growing well, doing really strong, um, most premature babies ever to have survived. Um, so yeah, a real, a real happy note there for, for Jade and for, for Do you know her? Do you, do you know her? No, 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 only on BBC. Oh, no, nice one. It's very, uh, yeah, I just, just thought something nice to, to finish on. Excellent. Nice positive, positive ending. Bit of yin and yang from you there, Phil. Indeed. Um, well, not like us at all, is it? No, that's right. Well, I'm just going to bring up very quickly um, the Super Bowl that was on on, on Sunday uh, evening, Sunday <laughs> night, but not specifically the Super Bowl, more the halftime show. Now, I know the halftime show gets uh, a lot of random bad press, uh, but as a 90s child, a halftime show of Snoop and Dr. Dre was probably the best halftime show I've ever seen. Um, ben, I know you had to be uh, advised who Mary J. Blige was. Yeah, I did, um, yeah. Um, and, I, and I guess that, that Snoop and, and Dr. Dre and that isn't really in your wheelhouse. Um, but... I've heard of them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm not doubting you've not heard of them. Um, but I, I kind of... I grew up, uh, you know, as you know, I'm a, a, a ginger man from Western Supermare. From the mean um, streets. From the mean streets of Western Supermare. And I grew up listening to Tupac and Dr. Dre on the mean streets of Western Supermare. So uh, that was all my formative years listening to Gangster Rap. Because I, 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 um, I thought Snoop was pretty good. I thought Dre was really good. I thought Eminem was fantastic. Um, I thought Mary J. Blige was uh, a bit nothing. Um, and I still don't know who Kendrick Lamar is. 
And I thought, and I thought, Fifty Cent was pretty shit and looked like he didn't really know what he was doing or why he was. The the best bit of the whole thing was a little piano intro of when Dr. Dre was did the little two pack. I ain't mad at you. Um, piano intro, which was incredible. But yeah, I loved it. You know, it was right, right up my strasser. I must admit. So. Um, I'm just, I'm sorry. I've just seen something on Twitter. So there's a there's a screenshot of BBC News UK. Novak Djokovic. I'm not anti-vax, but will sacrifice trophies if told to get a jab. And Ryanair have quoted it saying, "We're not an airline, but we do fly planes." <laughs> Um, oh, yeah. oh. Those, those guys at Ryanair. Anyway, yeah, you got you got to giggle because otherwise you'll moan about having to pay to go to the toilet and stuff like that. Oh, it's on its way. Right, let's get out of here. Uh, we will see you all next week, maybe. Um, if not, we'll see you for some uh, some Six Nations actions the week after. Go well. Network.